0: Psalm one nineteen, part eighteen, of the Treasury of David, volume six, by Charles Spurgeon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Psalm one hundred nineteen, part eighteen, verses one hundred thirty-seven to one hundred forty-four. Righteous art Thou, O Lord, and upright are Thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised yet do not i forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. This passage deals with the perfect righteousness of Jehovah and his word, and expresses the struggles of a holy soul in reference to that righteousness. The initial letter with which every verse commences in the hebrew is p and the keyword to us is purity verse one hundred thirty seven righteous art thou o lord the psalmist has not often used the name of jehovah in this vast composition the whole psalm shows him to have been a deeply religious man thoroughly familiar with the things of god and such persons never use the holy name of god carelessly nor do they even use it at all frequently in comparison with the thoughtless and the ungodly. Familiarity begets reverence in this case. Here he uses the sacred name in worship. He praises God by ascribing to him perfect righteousness. God is always right, and he is always actively right, that is, righteous. This quality is bound up in our very idea of God. We cannot imagine an unrighteous God and upright are thy judgments. Here he extols God's word, or recorded judgments, as being right, even as their author is righteous. That which comes from the righteous God is itself righteous. Jehovah both saith and doth that which is right, and that alone. This is a great stay to the soul in times of trouble. When we are most sorely afflicted, and cannot see the reason for the dispensation, we may fall back upon this most sure and certain fact, that God is righteous, and his dealings with us are righteous too. It should be our glory to sing this brave confession when all things around us appear to suggest the contrary. This is the richest adoration, this which rises from the lips of faith when carnal reason mutters about undue severity, and the like. Verse one hundred thirty eight thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful all that which god hath testified in his word is right and truthful it is righteous and may be relied upon for the present it is faithful and may be trusted in for the future about every portion of the inspired testimonies there is a divine authority they are issued and published by god's command and they bear the impress of the royal style which carries omnipotence about it. Not only the precepts, but the promises also, are commanded of the Lord, and so are all the teachings of Scripture. It is not left to our choice whether we will accept them or no. They are issued by royal command, and are not to be questioned. Their characteristic is that they are like the Lord who has proclaimed them. They are the essence of justice, and the soul of truth. God's word is righteous and cannot be impeached. It is faithful and cannot be questioned. It is true from the beginning, and it will be true unto the end. Dwell upon that sweet word, very faithful. What a mercy that we have a God to deal with who is scrupulously faithful, true to all the items and details of his promises punctual to time, steadfast during all time. Well may we risk all upon a word which is ever faithful, ever sure. Verse 139 In the last two verses David spoke concerning his God and his law. Here he speaks of himself and says, My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. This was no doubt occasioned by his having so clear a sense of the admirable character of God's word. His zeal was like a fire burning within his soul. The sight of man's forgetfulness of God acted as a fierce blast to excite the fire to a more vehement flame, and it blazed until it was ready to consume him. David could not bear that men should forget God's words. He was ready to forget himself, aye, to consume himself, because these men forgot God, The ungodly were David's enemies. His enemies, because they hated him for his godliness. His enemies, because he abhorred them for their ungodliness. These men had gone so far in iniquity that they not only violated and neglected the commands of God, but they appeared actually to have forgotten them. This put David into a great heat. He burned with indignation. How dare they trample on sacred things! How could they utterly ignore the commands of God himself? He was astonished and filled with holy anger. Verse 140 Thy word is very pure. It is truth distilled, holiness in its quintessence. In the word of God there is no admixture of error or sin. It is pure in its sense, pure in its language, pure in its spirit pure in its influence, and all this to the very highest degree, very pure. Therefore thy servant loveth it, which is a proof that he himself was pure in heart, for only those who are pure love God's word because of its purity. His heart was knit to the word because of its glorious holiness and truth. He admired it, delighted in it, sought to practice it, and longed to come under its purifying power. Verse 141 I am small and despised, yet do I not forget thy precepts. That fault of forgetfulness which he condemned in others, verse 139, could not be charged upon himself. His enemies made no account of him, regarding him as a man without power or ability, and therefore looked down upon him. He appears to accept the situation and humbly take the lowest room, but he carries God's word with him. How many a man has been driven to do some ill action in order to repay the contempt of his enemies? To make himself conspicuous, he has either spoken or acted in a manner which he could not justify. The beauty of the psalmist's piety was that it was calm and well-balanced, and as he was not carried away by flattery, so was he not overcome by shame. If small, he the more jealously attended to the smaller duties, and if despised, he was the more in earnest to keep the despised commandments of God. Verse 142 Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Having in a previous verse ascribed righteousness to God, he now goes on to declare that that righteousness is unchanging and endures from age to age. This is the joy and glory of the saints, that what God is, he always will be, and his mode of procedure towards the sons of men is immutable. Having kept his promise and dealt out justice among his people, he will do so world without end. Both the righteousness and the unrighteousness of men come to an end. But the righteousness of God is without end. And thy law is the truth. As God is love, so his law is the truth, the very essence of truth. Truth applied to ethics, truth in action, truth upon the judgment seat. We hear great disputes about what is truth. The Holy Scriptures are the only answer to that question, Note that they are not only true, but the truth itself. We may not say of them that they contain the truth, but that they are the truth. Thy law is the truth. There is nothing false about the law or preceptory part of Scripture. Those who are obedient, therefore, shall find that they are walking in a way consistent with fact, while those who act contrary thereto are walking in a vain show. Verse 143. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. This affliction may have arisen from his circumstances, or from the cruelty of his enemies, or from his own internal conflicts, but certain it is that he was the subject of much distress, a distress which apprehended him and carried him away a captive to its power. His griefs, like fierce dogs, had taken hold upon him, He felt their teeth. He had double trouble, trouble without, and anguish within, as the Apostle Paul put it, without were fightings, and within were fears. Yet thy commandments are my delights. Thus he became a riddle, troubled and yet delighted, in anguish and yet in pleasure. The child of God can understand this enigma, For well he knows that while he is cast down on account of what he sees within himself, he is all the more lifted up by what he sees in the word. He is delighted with the commandments, although he is troubled because he cannot perfectly obey them. He finds abundant light in the commandments, and by the influence of that light he discovers and mourns over his own darkness. Only the man who is acquainted with the struggles of the spiritual life will understand the expression before us. Let the reader herein find a balance in which to weigh himself does he find even when he is begirt with sorrow that it is a delightful thing to do the will of the lord does he find more joy in being sanctified than sorrow in being chastised then the spot of god's children is upon him verse one hundred forty four the righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting First he had said that God's testimonies were righteous, then that they were everlasting, and now that their righteousness is everlasting. Thus he gives us a larger and more detailed account of the word of God the longer he is engaged in writing upon it. The more we say in praise of Holy Writ, the more we may say, and the more we can say. God's testimonies to man cannot be assailed. They are righteous from beginning to end. And though ungodly men have opposed the divine justice, especially in the plan of salvation, they have always failed to establish any charge against the Most High. Long as the earth shall stand, long as there shall be a single intelligent creature in the universe, it will be confessed that God's plans of mercy are in all respect marvelous proofs of his love of justice. Even that he may be gracious, Jehovah will not be unjust. Give me understanding and i shall live this is a prayer which he is constantly praying that god will give him understanding here he evidently considers that such a gift is essential to his living to live without understanding is not to live the life of a man but to be dead while we live only as we know and apprehend the things of god can we be said to enter into life the more the Lord teaches us to admire the eternal rightness of his word, and the more he quickens us to the love of such rightness, the happier and the better we shall be. As we love life and seek many days that we may see good, it behooves us to seek immortality in the everlasting word, which liveth and abideth for ever. And to seek good in that renewal of our entire nature, which begins with the enlightenment of the understanding, and passes on to the regeneration of the entire man. Here is our need of the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the Giver of life, and the guide of all the quickened ones, who shall lead us into all truth. Oh, for the visitations of his grace at this good hour! End of Part 18 of Psalm 119